Welcome to Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of August 16, 2015. The Kentucky Council of the Blind hosted the third annual Crossroads Conference on August 14 and 15. This was a very different event from the first two conferences. About 55 people attended Crossroads 2013, and 80 people were here last year. This time, we capped attendance at 40 people and organized activities into small classes and hands-on interactive events. Crossroads 2015 began on Friday evening with a dinner and program. The menu included ham, meatloaf, green beans, mac and cheese, potato salad, deviled eggs, brownies, and cookies. On page two, you'll hear Friday evening excerpts, including the playing of the National Anthem on the Trumpet by Dave Trevino, prayer by KCB President Deb Lewis, introduction of the speaker by KCB Next Generation member Amanda Selm, and speaker Delbert Spear. Classes were scheduled on Saturday and were 45 minutes long. Participants created their roadmaps by selecting the classes they wanted to attend ahead of time. Some of their choices were Mentoring Parts 1 and 2 Negotiating for Meeting Space Picking up Passengers Recruiting New Members Check the Glove Compartment Insurance for Affiliates Creating a roadmap, everyone needs an agenda. Blaring horns, setting up sound equipment. Great impressions through body language. Writing for the web. Contacts are the key to members, volunteers, and donors. Building membership through support groups. And writing newsletter articles. What conference in Kentucky would be complete without fried chicken? The Saturday evening menu included fried chicken, Swiss steak, mashed potatoes, green beans, seven-layer salad, macaroni salad, pecan pie, and chocolate cake. Mark Feach, three-time president of the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, was the evening speaker, and you'll hear excerpts from his remarks on page three. Louisville Downtown Lions Club was a major underwriter of this year's Crossroads, and we greatly appreciate their support. Crossroads ends with a look in the rearview mirror and thoughts about the road ahead. We think you will especially enjoy excerpts from the rearview mirror on page 4. Don't miss the surprise at the end of the page. The voices you hear in this segment are KCB President Deb Lewis, Donna Rose from Michigan, Debbie Detheridge from Louisville, and Raymond Harris from Michigan. And on page 5 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Hello, everyone. May I have your attention, please? And Dave, are you ready? Ready. Okay, Dave is going to play the national anthem on his trumpet. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Lord, we ask that you, dear Lord, we ask that you would bless this food for our use and us to your service. We ask that you would watch over everyone, keep them safe and traveling this weekend. We hope that everyone stays healthy. We ask that you would keep everyone healthy, safe, and and give everyone an, an opportunity to learn new things. And we thank you that we have the participants that we have. Please help us to go home with new thoughts and new ideas. And uh, we ask that you would bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We have ham, meatloaf, macaroni and cheese, green beans, potato salad, deviled eggs, brownies, cookies, tea, lemonade. We have soft drinks, which are Coke, Diet Coke, Diet Sprite, root beer, and orange. And we'll have coffee in just a little bit. We're going to go ahead and get started with this evening's speaker. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Amanda Selm. I know it says that in the program, my husband, Matt Selm, was supposed to introduce the speaker. Well, guess what? He actually admitted that I have more energy than he does. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to keep this real short and sweet. The speaker that we have tonight is a real treat. He has been best friends with Matt for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. They were fraternity brothers at University of Louisville. He is an amazing community leader, has worked for several organizations, has three to four different jobs, 50 different degrees. So there's no better person to teach you guys about leadership tonight than Mr. Delbert G. Spear. Let's give him a warm welcome, shall we? And I'm looking real forward to getting to speak with you all about some things that I think will uh, definitely impact your lives. And it's, it's things that we can all relate to. You guys about work-life balance and burnout. Has anybody ever heard of work-life balance? Yes. yes, yes. All right, so just let me get a show of hands for who works. So who's got it? Oh, boy. Okay, good. Then we're going to have some fun with this. And if you're retired, I just want to say I'm envious. Personally, I'm very envious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got something to shoot for in my life. Uh, I, I often, I'm real close and uh, best friends with my grandfather, and I'll call him up and ask him, hey, you know, Grandpa, do you have anything going on this particular evening? And he'll say, hang on, son, let me check my calendar. Nope, I'm still retired. <laughs> All right, so can anybody take a guess at what the typical work schedule is for the average American, perhaps weekly? How many hours do you think we work a week? 40 hours a week. 40? 35, 40, 50. 50? I don't want her life. <laughs> the, the average American uh, worker does work just over 40 hours a week or about 1,700 hours per year. That's a lot of time spent working. So I hope we're doing something we enjoy. Now, <laughs> yeah, most of the time. Now, we might think that you would believe that we're probably working more and more so it seems like each year. Don't, don't it kind of feel that way? Especially if you've been in the workforce a while. On average, since about 19, I'll say 1980 through uh, 2010, it did actually decrease a little bit. 
uh, we have actually gone down. And as a matter of fact, since 19, in 1950, the average American was working about 1,900 hours a year. So we were really turning out some, some hours back then. So how do you think we might stack up against some of some other countries? Can you all name any countries that perhaps work more than we do? China, Japan. China, Japan. Who else? Okay. All right. Uh, how about some that work less? France, Europe, England. All right. Now, see, that's interesting. That, that's, really, that's really interesting. Uh, now, I'm going to really throw you all for a loop. Singapore is actually who works the most hours. On average, if you live in Singapore, you can expect to work, oh, about 2,300 hours a year. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of time spent at work. That's why their suicide rate's so high. Uh, if you, uh, who said, somebody said France. Somebody, I heard somebody say, okay, yeah, France would be uh, really low. They work on average about 1,500 hours a year, which is, again, a little less than we are. Uh, now, here's really one that's going to really surprise you guys. The, out of this group, the one that worked the least is Germany. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have expected that. But if you look at the German culture, they, their drive for efficiency means that they feel like they, should, they don't have to work as much to get as much done. And that's, that's really what drives that. So what do you all think we spend all our time on when we're not working? Sleeping. Sleeping, okay. Yes, we, we, we do a lot of sleeping. What else do we do? Smartphones. Smartphones. I like that. That's me. That's totally me. I'm, I'm, my, my wife is always on me for having my head in my phone all the time. Uh, on average, we spend about 8.8 .8 hours working in related activities. And 7.7 .7 hours sleeping. Personally, I think there's something wrong with that. I should at least get to sleep as many hours as I work, but that's, that's me. Uh, <laughs> eating and drinking, we only spend about an hour doing that. Does, does, does anybody eat like really fast just so they can get to the next thing that they got to do? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. The quicker I can finish a meal, I feel like I've accomplished something for some unknown reason. All right, if I had to have you describe this, uh, say, a week ago today, you were getting ready to start your weekend up, would you describe it as leisurely? Oh, look at that. Yeah. So got, I got one leisurely. Okay, what about fun? Would you describe your la last weekend as fun? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's good. How about busy? Okay, uh, now this is one. How about too short? Yeah. <laughs> always, always. Uh, how about relaxing? Now, see, what's interesting is in America specifically, we really have a culture of busy. Think about it. If, if somebody approaches you who I'll say that you're just kind of friends with, and they say, oh, how was your weekend? You're likely going to say, it was busy. I, I, I was busy all weekend. I did all, all this stuff. And, and you rattle off a few things. Because have you ever asked somebody... Uh, oh, how, how's your day going? And, and, or how's your week been? And they not say busy. You ever notice that? Everybody immediately resorts to the word, I'm so busy. Now, and that's, and that's important to think about because as we grow into this culture of being busy, it's almost like if we're not always doing one, two, three, four, five things at one time, something's wrong. If you're not multitasking, then what are you doing? Well, can you imagine I'm actually focused on one task at a time? Say it's not so. Now, if, if for those of you that are working, 
and, and you had the luxury and opportunity to actually get a raise in your job, I want you to think about that, that last raise that you got. Did your lifestyle change significantly? No. No, sure didn't. And did you start working more hours when you got that raise? No. Okay, but your lifestyle didn't change any. And see, here, here's something else that you guys have uh, perhaps heard of. It's called lifestyle inflation. And for anybody that has always thought, man, if I could only make this much money, I would be fine. What you find out is that when you make that much money, all of a sudden, your lifestyle starts to adjust to the amount of money that you make. So now, if I make more money, I have more stuff. I, I, I get that boat that I've been looking at that, you know, is a, a bunch of money and just sits on the water. Or I get, I get a jet ski, or I get that cabin, or, or whatever the, your, your thing may be. All of a sudden, you've got more upkeep. And you look at it and you say, well, why did I even need to make more money? So we assume in our culture in America that more money and more stuff leads to what? Exactly. Look, y'all, I, I got it right over here. Y'all didn't mean to see that. All right, 76% of Americans, it's so sad, but 76% of us are living paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck to paycheck. 76% of us are living that way. And that is, that's an absolute drain and strain on the individual. It's an absolute drain and strain on the society because we are one catastrophe away from the whole house of cards completely falling down. So here's some sobering facts. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dave Ramsey. Has anybody ever heard of this guy? Yeah. All right. So I've, I've taught his class before. It's a great program. If you, if you get an opportunity to look it up, check it out. But less than 20% of Americans have enough money in their savings account to cover at least six months of expenses. That's kind of scary. That's, kinda, that's, that's real scary. And that 50% of us have less than a three-month cushion, which means if something happens to me, I might only get by three months. If I get an illness, because, well, we all know that illnesses aren't necessarily planned. That I'm going to get by for three months. And here's one that's really bothersome. 27% have nothing at all. No cushion. Look at that dead silence in the room, because it's scary to think about. It's absolutely scary to think about. Now, work-life balance takes something very specific, and it's work. That's what you got to do. If you want this work-life balance, if, if you want to enjoy more of your time, not just while you're at work, but while you're outside work, then it's absolutely going to take you doing some work. And maybe you're... Has anybody ever heard of a term called burnout? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's something I'm very familiar with. Uh, burnout, it can definitely affect you, and there's some, some things, some work context factors and some organizational factors that are involved with burnout that I want to talk to you all a little bit about. Because a lot of times, if you just start to really think about these things and, and you can pick up on them, we can start to develop some methods to accommodate them. Factor number one, let's talk about, for those of us that got a job, talk about your work. What, what do you all think are some things that at your job can contribute to burnout? How about your boss? Always breathing down your neck? Yeah? Got productivity things you got to keep, and you've got people to make happy. Uh, what about your salary? You think that contributes to it? I don't make enough money. How about your personal growth? Is anybody working a job where they really would love to grow, but they don't have the opportunity to grow? 
Or maybe it's just boredom. Has anybody felt bored in a job? I've mastered this. I know it. There's not really anything more I can learn here. I'm bored with it. I want to be doing something different. Now, why I bring those four particular things up, what I want you to be considerate of is think about the role that each person or each factor there plays in your own life. You know, how much of your time does your boss get to occupy? Uh, if your boss is really hard on you that day, do they simply occupy your work time or do you get to take that home with you too? Yeah, you take it home. And that's, that's the tough part. So your eight hours at work is more like 10 or 12 because you had a rough day and you, you have to take it home. Uh, your salary always goes around, don't you? It always goes with you everywhere you go. If you, has anybody had any uh, increased risk-taking? Perhaps you got a little, you felt like you could take some more risks or you uh, were kind of angry or maybe suspicious. Have you ever felt suspicious of, of everything going on at work? Like there's more to it than what you know. There's some kind of conspiracy. Maybe you're real cynical or negative. That, that change that's coming down the pike, you know it can't possibly be good. You know, change is never good. It's never going to work out the way they say it's going to. They tell me it's supposed to be better, but I know it's not. That's often an early symptom of burnout. And it's important to characterize that because if you can recognize it early on, it's like getting a cold. You might be able to fight it off. If you know that you're starting to feel that way, you might be able to make some moves in another direction to fight it off. Let's look at the second factor, organizational factors. Things like leadership effectiveness. Uh, does anybody work for somebody that they feel like they could probably do a better job at their job than they could? Yeah, I heard yeah. I heard a few people say yeah. Uh, also, too, clear expectations. Have you ever had an experience where somebody says, hey, I need this, this, and this, but it's so vague that you, you're really not sure, but you're too scared to ask for some additional clarity on it? You ever had issues like that? Or uh, maybe the company mission. Maybe you're not necessarily completely aligned with what the company's doing as a whole. Their, their social values. Uh, in today's society, because of things like social media and, and the fact that messages can fly out with 170 characters. 170 characters in a, tw in a tweet? Yeah, we see how much I use Twitter. So with, with, all of a sudden, the whole world knows about it. The social impact that a business makes now, today, is, is much broader than it used to be. So if, if you look at the rate of burnout among different groups of workers, uh, what, do you all, what do you all think might be a group of people that would uh, rate really high in terms of burnout? What, what types of roles might they occupy? Customer service, okay, that's, yes, that's on, that's on here there. They're about uh, 13, 14% is their rate of burnout. What else? Social work. Physicians, yep, health care occupies uh, about 14.5%. Management, so uh, that would be the 11%. Surprisingly, the two highest groups of burnout, manufacturing and education. Education. What, what, what makes you think education? Why do you think education is so high? Middle school teachers. Middle school teachers? <laughs> They've got all kinds of issues. They've got to make the kids happy, the parents happy. 
uh, people often ask me, Dell, why did you want to teach for a college? I say, because I, I wouldn't have made it in a public school. I absolutely would not have survived in a public school. I would have been in trouble all the time. See, over time, employees that are experiencing burnout lose the capacity to provide the contributions that really make an impact. And you, that's where you start to develop that boredom and that, oh, what am I doing here? And, and especially, this is important for you guys over this, the next few days, because it's my understanding there's a lot of workshops that you guys get to go to over the next few days. Am I correct on that? So you got so today, and you're going to be going to some tomorrow. And also, my understanding is that you all do this every so often, every year. There's something like this going on. So tomorrow, when you're sitting in these workshops, the the thing you really need to be thinking about is how am I going to take this into the rest of my life? What am I going to be doing with this? How is it going to impact me? Otherwise, we're just simply sitting in a spot to fill a chair and take up some oxygen. Which, from my perspective, that is no way to have a good time. Uh, let's see, everybody here has phones. Has everybody got a cell phone? All right. Uh, have you ever noticed that your cell phone always seems to ring at the most unopportune time ever? <laughs> so perhaps you're having this really great conversation, then all of a sudden, do 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 there goes your phone. And you feel a little awkward because you really are engaged in the conversation, but you also know that you probably need to answer that phone. Uh, it's also considered almost like an office leash for those of you all that have to get phone calls from, from your employer during your off hours. Your, your phone can really play into that. Uh, how many of you expect to always answer the phone? You're, you're expected to always answer the phone when it rings. Yeah? So you got a group of people that kind of flip out when you don't answer the phone. Okay, that makes sense. What, one person? One <laughs> person? Okay, all right, yeah, they keep calling back over and over. Uh, how many of you all get email on your phone? Let me get a show of hands for that. Do you check it as soon as you get it? Do you, you hear it ding? Is that the first thing you got to do? So some no's, some yeses. Now, here's something interesting about email. Surprisingly, those that are considered the most effective at managing an email inbox are those that designate a time to check it. So perhaps 10 o'clock... I'm going to check my email. That's going to be at 10 o'clock every day. That's what I'm going to do at 10, 2, and 4. That's my schedule. Uh, and if, for those of you all that have had to work for managers that will send you an email, five minutes later they're in your office saying, did you see my email? Why didn't you just come on down and talk to me? Why did you have to send that to me? No, I haven't checked it yet. But then you look like you, know, you don't know what's going on. So why do you think we accept this concept of burnout? I mean, really, in a struggling economy uh, that's just barely moving now. I mean, we're just barely chugging along in, in a better pace than we were. A lot of us is just accept it because it's a consequence to having a job, isn't it? Because the alternative is what? No, no employment at all, right? And I would rather complain about having a job than complain and be unemployed and broke and not have a job. Uh, here's an interesting fact for you guys. Uh, the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics reported in March of 2012 that 1.8% of full-time workers, or around 2.1 million workers, are experiencing burnout. Yeah, 2.1 million people are, are, are in that. So, in terms of what we can do to predict burnout, 
Is, are anybody in leadership positions or management positions in their work areas? It's got a few folks. Okay. Some of the things that you can kind of look for, and two, even if you're not in a leadership position, you still have colleagues that you work with that you might like. Does anybody work with anybody they like? Okay, good. <laughs> at least we're doing that right. At least we got a few friends at the workplace. So what are some of the things that we might be able to look for in those people that we actually do like and we care about and that we want to see them come to work? Look for them to take additional sick days. All of a sudden, they're taking all these additional sick days. That's a predictor of burnout. And here's an interesting one, perfectionism. That's also a predictor of burnout. All of a sudden, everything's got to be completely perfect all the time. Because it's how you exert a sense of control over a situation that you feel out of control of. Uh, they also start to kind of disconnect from family and friends. Maybe that includes you. Maybe they used to always come by your desk. Or perhaps called you often. And now you don't hear from them as much. And when you ask, oh, I'm just, I've been so swamped. I've been so busy. That's a predictor of burnout. That's somebody that you might want to reach out to. And make sure that they're doing okay. And a lot of times, folks that are in, enduring burnout, they're going to be a little too prideful to ask for help. And a lot of times, the way that you present help to them will make the difference between them saying, oh, no, I'm good, and, yeah, I could help with that. Uh, instead of saying, you know, can I help you? Is there anything I can help you with? Or if you know about a specific project, you could ask for some details on it. I would really love to help you with part of that, or I would really love to learn about that. Because we also have this aversion to a four-letter word in American culture called help. We don't, we, we're, we're difficult to accept the help of others when we're going through burnout. Uh, did you know that employees who perceive their supervisors as being both fair and supportive are less susceptible to burnout? and more accepting to major organizational change. And that's something that you guys are going to talk about over the next few days, I'm assuming, as some, some changes that are going to be getting implemented, some new things that you guys are going to be trying to do. I, remember, I read something about a mentoring program. That's a really great opportunity, providing the mentor is not the one experiencing all the burnout. <laughs> you, that's not exactly what we want. So now that we know what to look for, we know what we might feel like or what we might see in others. Let's talk about how we can, can, what we can control because there are some things we can actually control with this. I'm going to talk to you all about the coping skills, talk to you about time management. As uh, Amanda alluded to, as you can imagine, I live in a calendar, so I'm very good at time management. If you don't manage your time, your time will manage you. Absolutely promise. And guess what? 24 hours is the same for all of us. I promise you. And then we're going to talk, talk about the social aspects of it. Uh, coping skills. Regularly feed your body some nutritious food. I know that's difficult, especially, and this is me speaking here. I don't always feed my body the best food. Uh, I love deep fried foods as much as every, the next person. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a Reese cup and it's been deep fried, it's likely that I will consume it. <laughs> Uh, try to get some sufficient rest. Now, everybody says, oh, how, how many hours a night should you sleep? Seven to eight. Everybody always says eight, which might be good, but your body might really just only want six, or your body might want ten. It just depends on the individual, really. So you know what fits you. You know how much sleep is sufficient. 
try to work on getting sufficient sleep. Uh, exercising regularly. Now, exercising is, is interesting because it, what exercising will help you do is kind of get your mind off of this other stuff. I've found that I, I, I do a lot of cycling. and Well, not a lot of cycling. I try to cycle <laughs> and not get hit by a car. Uh, but when I cycle, I find that my mind just kind of drifts off. And I can, I can solve problems when I'm cycling. It's just, I'm, I'm in my own little zone, as I call it. Uh, pay attention to your body's signals from stress. Uh, I personally carry a lot of my stress in my upper back. And when I'm real stressed out, I'll constantly want to rub it and stretch it. And it's, it's always real difficult for me. Pay attention to what your body is telling you. Uh, because it's not a problem that's going to get better. It's only a problem that's going to get worse. Uh, let's talk about some time management techniques. How many of you all prioritize tasks? Got a few people prioritizing tasks. Now, what was interesting is nobody was like, yeah, I do that. See, we were real quiet with that. We just saw, we just saw hand raised. But prioritizing tasks is super beneficial because if you know what you need to get done and you can get first things done first, you feel better. And I, I'm a big checklist person. I put things down on a checklist or a to-do list. I love a to-do list because it reminds me that I actually accomplished something. I did something at the end of the day. So your all's workshops that you're going to, why not make a checklist for those? While that person's up there talking, think to yourself, what do I really want to get out of this? And then make sure you get it. You've got to own it. You've got to want it. Uh, make that to-do list. Make short and long-term goals. That's definitely helpful. Uh, Trying to reduce your work hours, that's kind of difficult, at least for me it is. Uh, find out what's most of, the most effective working hours. Perhaps you have a flexible schedule and you could... Uh, is anybody here early morning people? You are? Okay. What about night owls? Yeah, okay, we got a, we got a good mix. Maybe you, maybe you can work your schedule around what fits you. Uh, I like to think I'm not really a night owl or morning person. I'm more of just a middle-of-the-day kind of guy. <laughs> when it's nighttime, I want to go to bed. When it's morning, I really don't want to wake up. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. All right, so the social aspect of this. Now, this is what nobody will tell you. There is a social piece to this. Because we need to do more with our lives than just go home, go to work, and come back home. We have to have a social life. You want to surround yourself with some family and friends that are supportive of you. Not people that are going to add more stress to your life, but don't get me wrong, it's always good to hear about somebody else's drama, i got to admit. Uh, if you're not volunteering, perhaps volunteering some of your time, something that you're really good at, or even marginally good at, maybe you can, you can provide that kind of service for somebody else. Uh, one of the things that I do is exactly what you guys are hearing me do right now, and that's getting up and talking in front of folks about burnout. Why? Because I've lived it, I've suffered through it, and I know how it feels. And I, I have been witness to exactly what it can go and do into your lives that, that result in negative things. And I want to try to save people from that same kind of fate. Uh, does your, look at if your uh, employer offers any uh, um, uh, assistance programs, things that you might be able to get involved with, things that they endorse. Uh, some companies have volunteer hours that you're allowed to take. And that you may not even know about it until you ask the management team about it. That's something else to consider. Uh, also, too, they have uh, counseling and supportive programs. I'm a big person in, into to group therapy programs because I believe if you are in a room of people that all have the same vision and mission with what's going on in their lives, 
you're automatically going to feel better. And then the last part of this is anytime that you're going into a situation, the first question that should come into your mind is, what do I want to get out of this? How do I want this to impact me? And you have to make a conscious decision about what role you want this to play in your life. Do you want this just to be another speech that you're having to listen to a guy give about all this stuff that really doesn't apply? Or do you really want to consider, is there something useful in this? Uh, and, I don't, and I'm not part of the next few days, but I know that you guys have some real leadership opportunity with that. And a lot of folks are pretty quiet in these rooms, and, and it's just a, it's more informative, and, and, and there's things that you're supposed to take. But the thing you got to remember is you want to pull stuff out from those experiences and realize what it can really do in your own lives. All right, well, guys, I'm so glad you all invited me. I don't know about you all. I had a blast. Nobody fell asleep, so that's good. Let's give, let's give ourselves a round of applause for that. End of title. Page three. Thank you, folks, for having me tonight. Um, boy, I tell you, when I look in the, in the dictionary and I see the word passion, I see two people, uh, Carla and uh, Adam. Wow, they have really helped out our Lions Club over the years, and they just have this commitment where they really want to help people, and Adam, over the years, has really helped me uh, become a good lion, and it's all about we serve uh, the community, and it's just a privilege to know Adam and Carla. Um, like Adam said, boy, I tell you, 20 years ago, I would have been petrified to come up here and talk to people. If somebody said, Mark, you're going to make a speech uh, in a week, and all you have to do is talk for 30 seconds, I tell you, I wouldn't be able to sleep the entire week. But now I really enjoy it. So tonight I want to talk about leadership and how important it is and really how important communication is in any type of uh, organization. Um, so tonight I want to talk about how to build a strong team in any organization, like the Kentucky Council for the, for the Blind, how to communicate, um, and also how to be humble and how to be flexible and kind of sometimes go with the flow because we're in a very changing world. People have different viewpoints, so you, you want to really be a strong leader. One of the main qualities you have to have is you must listen. Um, so building a strong team. The one thing I've learned out there is every person in an organization has a gift. Everybody in your group can do something. But what I've discovered, sometimes they don't know what their gift is. They might be 30 years old and they still haven't discovered their gift. You might be 65 years old and you still haven't discovered your gift. And that's the fun thing about leading a group. You can encourage and challenge people in your group to step up to the plate and help out. Some people have the, the gift of planning. 
Some people have the gift of hospitality. I could go on and on with people's gifts. So when you're a leader, if you become, like Debbie, the president of a group, you kind of have to look to see who your group is and what kind of qualities you have with the people you're in charge of and challenge them and encourage them to help out and build a team because your team, you're going to be in charge of the team. Debbie's going to have a goal, and she wants to, to build a strong team. Public speaking is the number one fear of Americans by far. By far. Nothing else is even close. I think the more you speak in public, the easier it is. And I encourage all of you to kind of step up to the plate. Help out in your organization here. Um, find out what your, your gift is and challenge yourself. Help out. A leader has to have commitment, integrity, and build your team, set goals, plan, keep it simple, but most importantly, your group is looking to you to make decisions. Every organization has a goal, a desire. At the Lions Club, we have one mission. We serve. And last year, we gave out um, $250,000 to the greater Louisville area, and 95% of it was to help the visually impaired. And we gave to all sorts of groups, including uh, your Crossroads Conference, we gave some money to. But we had to decide as a group where to put this money. Board of Directors meetings are a tremendous way to get the news out, what you need to accomplish. But your, your president always leads the way with communicating, giving you ideas, and so forth. And most importantly, you have to be really humble. And when you make a mistake as a leader, the best thing to do is admit that you made a mistake and just move forward. Um, and always give credit to others. You never want to see yourself as a leader as being the one who makes all the decisions. You don't want to be a hero. You want to rule the organization, um, be a listener, be very humble, and I... What about getting those younger people? Okay. How do you get them? It's called technology, okay? It's called Twitter, Facebook, and I, I'm the first one to admit I'm terrible at it. My wife is in charge of our IT department at home. I, I'm just not into technology. But in all honesty, in our Lions Club, a lady who's 65 years old does our Facebook page. And she does a great job. So people are actually looking at our Facebook page now because that's what the 35, 30, and under crowd, that's what they're into. My daughter's 16, and she told me a couple weeks ago that 
Facebook is for old people. I go, what do you mean? I just started getting into it. She goes, Dad, Facebook is for old people. I go, what do you do? Oh, it's Instagram and Snapchat. Okay. Well, by the time I get on Snapchat or Instagram, it'll be something else. So technology is the way to get to the younger people. And the younger people, um, Lions International has discovered, there's 210 countries around the world that have Lions Clubs. There's over 2 million members worldwide. They found out the only way to get to the younger crowd is with technology and most of all, giving the younger crowd a specific project to do. They love specific projects like be here Saturday morning from 8 o'clock until 11 and we're going to paint this room and I need 10 people, all the equipment will be here, they'll show up. What they don't like to do is show up every, you know, every other Wednesday night for dinner and hearing people yak. They don't like that because their attention span is like five minutes because they have the phone in their hand and they're constantly looking at things. But if you give the younger crowd a specific project, they're all into it because they do like to help folks out. And um, our Lions Club is mostly people 55 and over, and we're battling, you know, the decline in attendance over the year. We used to have 100 members. Now I think we have like 34, and we're old and gray now, like all of us. So, I mean, we're hungry for the younger crowd. So in today's world, you have to challenge them in a different way than the, the older crowd. Uh, any other questions? All righty. Thank you so much. End of title. Page four. Now we're to the end here, folks. We have come to the rear view mirror. We're looking back. And we want to look over each of our activities and remember what was good and, and uh, discuss the uh, activity. So we started last night. Does anyone have any comments on what they might have learned or what they gleaned out of last night's uh, activities with when we had Dell up here talking and and uh, any anybody have a comment? Thank you. I just want to say that I'm looking around the room and I see everyone practicing all this stuff that we went over today in our great impression session. You all have great posture. You know, um, we came down here from Michigan and uh, I am really going to try to encourage other people from Michigan to come to this. Um, it was reasonably priced if they can get a ride. They could really have a, 
I mean, I learned so much to take back, and the handouts are just wonderful. I just want to thank everybody that planned or was involved in this, people that did the food, people that did the, the handouts and the planning of the different programs. It was just marvelous for somebody from Michigan who's, our, our chap, I mean, our affiliate's been fledgling for a long time, and we're really trying to get it back together and go forward. And I think the stuff that people can learn here would be really well worth the trip for our, our whole executive committee and uh, other leaders that are committee chairs and things in our affiliate. So I'm so glad you guys put this on the leadership list and that I saw it and came and I will definitely try to get more people to come. This is Debbie Dethridge and you know when we first started planning this I'm like oh no another boring leadership conference. But <laughs> It's really been good, and both Bill and I have said, you know, that we weren't first looking forward to this, but then when we found out that there was going to be hands-on activities and you weren't going to just sit in meetings, it's okay to sit in meetings occasionally, but to actually get the, to have the interaction and actually do things while you're in meetings puts a whole different perspective on it, and I think you pick up on things and you learn better that way, so uh, just like to uh, thank the committee for doing it this way this year. Uh, I just would like to do a piece for you here. You know, we came here looking for, you know that song, it says, uh, he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what this was all about. We had a vision, uh, I say we because I was drafted into this a couple of years ago. <laughs> 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 so I really do appreciate being here, helping, and um, uh, just being thankful for learning so much. And as I says, some of you know the song, so I will do a little acapella piece for you. Amazing grace will always be my, my song of praise. For it was grace that gave me liberty and I do not know just why he came to love me so for he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs I will forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me how marvelous the grace that saved my 
falling soul for he looked beyond my faults and saw my knees Lord I will forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me and how marvelous the grace that saved my my falling soul Lord you look beyond my faults and so my need you looked beyond my faults and so my my knees Thank you. That was beautiful. Okay, how do we follow that? (laughs) I thank everybody for being here. And come again, everybody. Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. Unless otherwise indicated, you can join conference calls listed on this calendar by dialing 605-475-6006 and entering code 294444. On August 17, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will meet at 8 p.m. on the conference line. On August 20, the Bluegrass Council will have its night at the Thursday Night Live in Lexington from 5.30 to 9 p.m., at the Fifth Third Pavilion in Cheapside Park on Main Street. For more information about this fun event and to find out how you can help the Bluegrass Council, call 859-259-1834. On August 21, we invite you to the Greater Lowell Council of the Blind Friday Night Activities. This week, it will include the EdTech Time from 3.30 to 6, dinner at 6 p.m., bingo from 7 to 9, and cards and crafts from 7 to 10. For more information, please call 502-895-4598. On August 22, the American Printing House holds its final film festival activity for the summer, 1230 to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. This is the last in a three-part series of documentaries about blindness, and it's followed by moderated discussion. It's free, but registration is required. Phone 502-899-2213 to register. On August 23, ACB Families will have its program on the new United English Braille Code and how it will affect both kids and adults. Join this free conference call at 9 p.m. Eastern by dialing 605-475-6333 and entering code 17111553. On August 24, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will have its next membership conference call at 7 p.m. on the conference line. August 26 is the Bluegrass Council VIP meeting 
from 12 to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council office in Lexington, 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1230. Lunch is followed by a program on emergency preparedness presented by the Red Cross. Call the Bluegrass Council at 859-259-1834 for more information. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at com. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.